How do we build our dreams when we don't know what we want? Learn how Flaunt solves this problem in five bold and glittery steps with radio host Laura Cheadle. Using a combination of best girlfriend discussions and therapy-based exercises, listeners are taught how to build their dreams and live their sparkle. Flaunt. Find your fetish. Laugh out loud. Accept unconditionally. Navigate the negative and trust in your truth. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and for many people right now, the holiday season is a time of stress and overwhelm. And although we're really excited, or we might pretend to be excited, there's a lot of mental chatter going on for a lot of us. And by mental chatter, I mean distraction. Oh my goodness, I have to meet these people. I've got an invitation, I've got a meal, I've got gifts, I've got blah, 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 and it makes us crazy. So I have got a guest today who can not only help us tone down some of that mental chatter and get more focused and get more grounded for the holiday season, but she can also focus, help us focus and get more grounded in our daily lives. Not only that, she can help us. She's got this new book called Mindful Menopause, The Secret to Balance, Vitality, and Clarity Through Change. So she can help us get focused and grounded whether we are facing holidays, whether we are facing menopause or a medical condition or a difficult spouse or difficult kids. She can help us in so many different areas of our lives. And I am just thrilled to be able to introduce you uh, to her. Her name is Clarissa Hughes, and she is the owner and founder of A Little Breathing Space, and she's a mindfulness coach. Now, what I love about her is she's got a decades-long career in the corporate world, and, you know, like me, moving from the corporate space to the wellness space, I believe it brings in a lot of real-world experience. And her corporate career really taught her so much about the challenges of living mindfully and how to stay true to her values and her purpose. Um, like I said before, she's the author of A Mindful Metapause. She also hosts a podcast called A Little Breathing Space. And she is passionate about sharing the path of mindfulness and compassion and for her, it's been the most transformative path for how to stay calm, awake, alive, and aligned with what truly matters in life. So with that, welcome to the show. I am so honored to have you here. Oh, Laura, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here and to talk to you and your listeners. Oh, wonderful. Let's start a bit, if we could, with your background and how that, how your back past in the corporate world kind of was the catalyst for moving you into this and some of the challenges. Yeah, Laura, you know, I spent a long time working for some of the world's biggest corporations. Um, I was working in the UK and then in Europe, and then I lived for 12 years in Australia, and I was working a lot. I mean, a lot of your listeners and yourself will know what it's like in this kind of world. You're working very long hours and then you come home and you've got to do it all over again with your kids. 
and and you feel like your life is on some sort of a spreadsheet and it's not really your life and that's how my life felt I felt like there I was a single mom living on the other side of the world from my family so I didn't have any family in Australia and I was working really really hard and suddenly here I was I had a very good job I had a very good income I sat inside a little cubicle and my soul was dead you know, that, and I didn't have the time for the things that mattered to me. And it started to affect my health. I didn't sleep very well, which is, I think, thing I hear a lot from my own clients. Now, I didn't sleep very well. I'd be awake in the night looking at emails. I mean, who wants, who needs to look at an email at two in the morning? You don't. Mm. And then I would wake up feeling tired and it began, I, my blood pressure began to increase and I was kind of perimenopausal then. And I didn't even know about that. So there I was, my weight going up, my blood pressure going up. I didn't feel great about myself. And my solution, like lots of people's, come home, sit on the couch, drink two glasses of wine or three, you know, mm-hmm. and, and none of that was doing me any good. And it really was when I felt, began to feel really unwell and I just discovered mindfulness through a very lovely lady. Had nothing to do with mindfulness when I met her. But I realized this wonderful woman, Heather, she doesn't even realize that she did this for me. Um, I got to look at her and say, well, she's got, a, got her act together. What is this she does? And I discovered she was a mindfulness teacher, that the organization she worked for was around the corner from where I lived in, in Sydney, Australia. And I went and that was the beginning of the journey to go on this eight week course. And I was like, wow, this makes a difference. I can feel this difference very quickly. I felt a lot calmer. I could look at some of the things I was doing and make small changes. And that led to me being introduced to the group that I trained with. And I trained with them while I was still, you know, working in corporate. But the difference was that it made a difference to me. And I was eventually able to leave and, I came back to Europe to be closer to my family, which has made a lot of difference. I made a lot of changes in my life. And now my health is better and my weight is better and lots of things in my life feel a lot more into control. So Mm. now I work with other people to help them know that you can change your habits, strategies, the way you think about things. And most of all, you can learn to actually love yourself. Because that was the hardest thing for me. And that was probably the biggest lesson that I probably didn't love myself at all. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And what I appreciate so much about your story is on the outside, you can see the spiral starting to go down. The weight starts piling on and you feel unhealthy. So then working out becomes more difficult. So then you work out less and then you eat more and then you're not sleeping and your body's not. I mean, you can just see it spiraling in and I know for a lot of people that I work with once they're at that point they think there is no hope I can't change my diet I can't get to the gym three or four times a week there is no hope and I love how you said with the mindfulness it's small steps you can choose one thing and it's not that hard but it starts reversing that cycle yeah. And, and for me, it was very small steps. Like I found a yoga class where I could practice in my own time. I mean, it was pretty tough yoga, but it, but by going there, the, the studio was open and I could go and train whenever I wanted to, which was much better than me trying to shoehorn myself into some gym pass, which I couldn't do at that time. Right. 
and then and then you can say things like right i'm going to go for a walk every sunday because the weather's nice and i'm going to take a bit of time to read a book and you can actually say things to your kids by that time my son was well into his teens and i said guess what you can get yourself to some places and you can do your own ironing and you can help out just a little bit more Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh and oh, we can all do that, you know, and, and that suddenly that meant that I wasn't standing there ironing for three hours because he wears, you know, like everybody's child, he wears, you know, four pairs of jeans in a week or whatever it is they do. And instead, then I was sort of taking, he had to take a bit more control. And that was releasing time for me to do small things for myself. Yeah. And then I took control instead of say, well, actually, I don't drink hardly at all now unless I go out socially. But slowly I sort of removed a lot of those unhealthy habits. But you don't have to do it all at once. It's too much. Oh, it is too much. Yeah. It is. And I like how you originally brought it down to loving yourself because I'm sure you didn't love standing there over the ironing board. And by having your son take on some things, you're also modeling, you know what? I have my own wants, I have my own needs, I have my own desires, and I need some space, and I can do this, but if you want the rest done, you can do that, and you're modeling great behavior for him as an adult to establish his own practice of standing up for himself and taking care of himself and loving himself. Exactly. So I, I think that it, it paid off for me that it was all these things that you can do, and then the way you talk to yourself. That's the other thing. I mean, we have wonderful negative self-talk <laughs> and that our thoughts then become another thought that becomes in our head a reality. And that was a big lesson for me to change that dialogue. You know, I was the person that could go to the, you know, end of year, you know, job review. And I was quite prepared for them to tell me that they, had, they were going to fire me, you know, because I was so bad. And I was like, and every year they'd be saying, well, you did a really great job. And I'm like, oh, did I? Oh, that's nice. Because <laughs> I really, because I already in my head was always creating a scenario that wasn't really true. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the truth? You know, sometimes people think the whole thoughts create things. It's just a magical story. No, no, no. You're, you're creating your story. And what story are you living in? <laughs> exactly. And that, that becomes something that's only true to you because it mm -hmm. might not be true to the people who are interacting with you. Mm -hmm. But negative self-talk is very damaging. Our thoughts, and our thoughts are a bit negative. We can't actually help that because right. we're wired, you know, we're wired to be a, a survive. That's the number one thing a human being has to do is to survive. Yes. And so being negative about things is a survival mechanism. So if you don't like something, if you know some meet something unfamiliar or something difficult, the first thing you do is be negative about it. You can't help mm -hmm. that. But the problem is that that negative thing creates another negative thought, which creates an emotion. And suddenly you've got, you've got a catastrophe on your hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to take a quick step back. I believe that many of the listeners understand what mindfulness is, but I'm also quite sure there's people out there that think, well, I've heard that term. I've heard meditation and hypnosis and mindfulness, but what exactly is it and what does it mean? So would you mind just taking a step back for listeners who might be unclear and just give them a definition? Yeah. But, uh, how I define it is the, it's the ability to be 
present, in this present moment. So you're actually able to stop for a little bit living in the past or living in the future. You're just here and you can observe your thoughts without judgment and with a little bit of curiosity. And when you can do that, mindfulness then gives you the perspective to choose how you'd like to react to that situation. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and I'm assuming you have the same belief, but perhaps not. So that's why I want to just address it. There's many ways to achieve mindfulness. There's not one path. It's, it's a state of being and there's many practices to get a person there, but we can achieve it in any number of ways. I agree with that. I think that people probably hear it mostly in the context of meditation. And yes, you can achieve moments of mindfulness while you're meditating, but it's certainly not the only way. And when I work with people, I would be saying you can be mindful uh, when you're brushing your teeth. You know, instead of just brushing them up and down very quickly, you can actually brush them and and actually feel all those sensations, uh, take a bit of time and a bit of notice. You could be mindful out on a walk. You can be mindful, you know, doing some yoga, doing some cooking even. There are lots and times when you can be just there taking notice of everything that's going on, experiencing that moment Um, You'll have thoughts because we're human. We have thoughts, but you're not allowing those thoughts to become the dominant thing. You're actually experiencing very much on a sensory level what's going on. Yes. And it's not only happy, pleasant thoughts. You can be experiencing something that's not pleasant, but you're still being mindful of the sensations. That's absolutely right, Laura, because, you know, I sometimes have clients who have a lot of physical pain and for them you know mindfulness is a very good practice for them to be to be aware to feel where they're feeling the pain in their body to being able to letting it be there without maybe even being able to have to change it or more they try and push it away and tense against it so it's not always that it's wonderful feelings or wonderful emotions it's that you're being able to be there and allowing things to be as they are rather than trying to more than anything, fix them or push them away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because part of your definition was then choosing how to respond. So we can notice our physical pain, notice our emotional pain, and then make the choice. Do I explode and scream? Do I drink an entire bottle of wine? Do I, what do I do? Or do I choose to walk or breathe or call someone or whatever? Exactly. You make, you make very conscious decisions of how you would like to handle that situation um, from a place. If you're mindful, you tend to be wanting to take care of yourself as well. So you're doing that from a place that might be kind, but it could be firm. I mean, it could be that you need to actually take some pain medication or that you need to rest and stop you know, lie down and say, actually, I can't do anymore because my pain's too much. I need to lie down and I need to call someone to help me. Whatever it is, you're making a choice that's for your better for you than just allowing your automatic behavior to take over and your mind and thoughts to drive you around in places that you don't necessarily find as helpful to yourself. Yeah. I love that you just said that, that if we're, if we're mindful, we tend to make better choices. I had actually not made that connection, but that's true. 
that, that's that's probably the biggest thing is that it gives you the opportunity to make a different choice you have a perspective so you can make a different choice and it, you may choose to do the thing that's not so helpful for you but at least you made a conscious choice around that you chose to do that rather than just going with habit right that's true Okay, so in your life, you were kind of in this difficult situation. You're working full time. You're a single mom. Work. It's life's on a spreadsheet. I love that analogy, by the way. You started integrating these mindfulness habits, added in some yoga. What did that shift? What was that trajectory like for you? I think the first thing was that I felt a little bit more in control, and I think I was able to face up to some difficult situations that I had in my life that I actually didn't like the job I had. I really didn't like it. And so I had to make a plan that I was going to leave that job. Not that I was going to throw it to the wall because I wasn't practical. And I was able to face up to the fact that my financial position wasn't as good as it could be. And I sought some very good practical advice from a financial advisor, which proved to be invaluable. And I was, and I was just able to take some control of my exercise, my weight, my diet, things like that over time. That's what it felt like. For me, it felt like I was taking control of a steering wheel of a car that had gone a bit, and suddenly, no, I'm back now and I'm driving here and I can make changes to my life that will be more beneficial for my mental well-being as well as my physical well-being. I like that. I like that. And you, because I think sometimes people don't understand the process, maybe. What is mindfulness going to get me? How do I get from A to B? And you're not saying you become mindful and then bam, you, <laughs> your whole life. It, it's feeling better along the way. Yeah. And I think it felt better. And I think for me, I faced I was quite emotional at times. I went through quite um, a lot of emotional reactions that I didn't expect to have. Um, I realized that I was really, really missing my family, that I was much more homesick in Australia than I had allowed myself to admit. And, and that was something that I had, you know, not faced up to. And that I was really missing my family, missing having especially a, my sister very close to me, and that I needed to reestablish that relationship, which had gone, you know, you live on the other side of the world, you both got a family, you don't see each other. Yeah. And, I, and, and that is amazing because that relationship, we went and we hadn't been physically together for 11 years, even though we talked to each other. And... And then that was the beginning of our relationship. And our relationship is so different now. She came to stay with me here a few months ago. And we sat on the couch and we talked about all these things. And it was like, wow, I've discovered this whole new person. I and love it. It was so beautiful. But it, it started with a lot of emotional pain for me about just how really, although I had a, a great lifestyle in Australia in many ways, I was, I was quite lonely and quite unhappy and separated from people who actually care about me mm. in a very deep way. And I was able to reignite that relationship. And how beautiful that you, that mindfulness allowed you to get in touch with that so you could express that emotion because, you know, you talk about not feeling good, holding in that motion, emotion can create more diseases. 
and oh my goodness, you have the opportunity to acknowledge it, let it out, and then to make changes so you can have these beautiful experiences. Exactly. And I think a lot of people sort of stop and think it's all about being focused and calm, but it's actually much more about acknowledging and accepting where you are. Yes. And then saying, actually, that compassionate part allows you to then make changes. And it's like you found some inner courage and responsibility to do that. I love that. I love that. And that kind of catapults me right into the book on menopause. Menopause is a natural state that women's bodies go through at some point. And like it or not, there is that acceptance moment of being where you're at and what are the choices that you can make to go with it. It's, it's not like you can think your way out of it and say, I refuse. No, you cannot. There is no woman that's born, unfortunately, whether you have children or you don't have children, whether you're married or you're not married, that can escape the menopause. It's like we can't escape puberty and we can't yep. escape menopause. They're part of being a woman. Yep. And, and acceptance is a hugely important um, part of that. I mean, and I think a lot of women... Um, a, aren't really aware that they're going into menopause. They think they're putting it all down to stress, whereas menopause just makes your stress worse. I mean, that's the biology of it. And that we accept that we're somehow changing and it's irreversible. We, we can't go back to being quite what we were at 20. So we accept that we, our bodies have changed we accept that maybe for some women it's quite difficult that we won't be able to have any more children in that of biologically and for some women having children is very defining for them we live in a world that is obsessed with how young we look obsessed about youth and suddenly you've become in you know you feel for some women that's quite a bit non-entity then i'm i'm no longer young what happens what happens now and we're not ready as women to be relegated like our grandparents were you know our grandmothers were pretty much old by the time the menopause has happened we've got half our life to live so we've got to work through this accept it and move out the other side but the process and the actual journey of the menopause has some, some elements like stress and anxiety, some physical changes, some of which are painful, where mindfulness is a very, very good practice and support to allowing us to manage those, those emotions, those feelings in a, in a way that's better. It won't change your menopause happening, but it helps you approach it a lot more effectively and in a way where you're, you do more things to help yourself rather than to fight it or resist it or, or crumble under it. I love that. I love that. Because I, my mind is just going to a million different physical things that we go through, whether it's having babies. I had natural childbirth, and the class that I took was basically a mindfulness, <laughs> how to give birth yes. mindfully and, and to be aware. And I don't care if you've broken your leg or are having a baby or having menopause. I do believe that mindfulness piece is hugely transformative. Yes, because you bring a lot of, um, you're aware of what you're going through. Um, in, in the menopause, if you're, you're having a hot flash, yes, you're going to have one. Mm -hmm. We take the classic thing that a lot of women have. But the difference is we can choose to allow that to overwhelm us 
But instead with mindfulness, we can maybe breathe a little bit. We can bring some compassion to ourselves. We might even find the courage to discuss that a lot more with other people that could be at work or with our partners. But this happens to me. This is how this makes me feel. And we can also accept that we might feel like a mess, but that's okay because it's not our fault. We're, we're actually okay here. And yeah. this is part of my natural process. And a little bit of acceptance. And there's been a few studies done um, at the University of Melbourne, actually, in Australia, that showed that women who practiced mindfulness during their menopause had much, much less severe hot flashes and their reactions to it were much, much better. And they were able to transition and feel a lot better even though they were going through this, these kinds of menopause changes. Oh, I love that. And the, just the word compassion, to offer ourselves compassion, oh my goodness, that, that almost feels scary sometimes that's so huge because we give compassion to others but to give it to ourselves, my goodness. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing. And I think it, it's a very beautiful thing to um, bring forth a kind of compassionate image of yourself. You know, and almost create what does this person look like and how is that very different from the anxious or angry person that I might be? And you start to think, well, it's like how would I – want a best friend to look like how would I want to speak to that person how would that you I want things to be for that person and then that person is you so you know that's very a very central part of the book but it's also a central part of how I work with a lot of people a lot of my clients are very anxious mm. you know and they have very low self-confidence and and self-esteem they don't think they don't think very much of themselves and it stops them doing from things they want to do. But when we bring compassion there, we change um, our language, we change our behavior. Sometimes we do tough, tough love stuff, which is fine. And sometimes we just need to, to speak to ourselves in a different way, see ourselves and, and, and have the ability that when it's not feeling right to say, well, actually I'm okay as I am. Right. Yeah. I like the interplay of that inner dialogue with the compassion and the mindfulness because we're not only being aware of our physical body and the physical sensations, but we're also being aware of what is going on in our mind. And am I telling myself that I'm no good? And am I telling myself that I don't deserve it? Exactly. And I, and I think we have... Um, different ways that we express criticism to ourselves. We can say yes when we'd like to say no or no when we'd like to say yes. <laughs> when you're a compassionate person, you might stop and say, actually, I'm going to say no, no, because that's better for me. And if I can tell you, I had a client and she's someone who said yes for a very, very long time. She comes from a, a slightly different culture where being a woman requires you to say yes to whatever your family wants you to do. Yes. And she was not very well when she came to me. And, and during the course of our therapy work together, she said, um, I'm, I can't go to the US. My sister wants me to come and she's having a baby. And I said, well, you know, what would your compassionate self like to tell you to do kind of thing? And she said, well, I, I'm not, I don't want to go. And I said, because it will make me more ill. It said, and she managed to find the courage to call her family and say, I'm not coming um, because I'm not well enough to take this trip. 
And she, came, she told me, and I said, wow, that's amazing. She said, and I said, well, how did that feel? And she said, that felt really good. And she said, oh, and by the way, my sister's had a beautiful baby. My mother went instead. So everything was just fine. I, they didn't have to, I didn't have to feel that I had to go, that it was life or death. And things just, she said, now I can go when I feel a bit better. And I was oh like, God. yes, you know, that's it. Then that's what compassion can, when we practice it and we learn how to do it properly, it, you know, it's not about a massage all the time. They're nice self-care extra. But when we actually take some courage to do something that's difficult for us, but that's good for us, it can make a lot of it. She would have been very ill if she, she'd have been in a terrible state. I mean, she was a very, very anxious person and she had a lot of physical health that, things that came through that and she was able to do that and then she was able to actually make some doctor's appointments and start to realize that she probably could control some of her physical symptoms with some help wow that's incredible and a piece of that story that i wanted to point out you said the mother went and took care of the baby anyway it's my understanding with mindfulness, with self-care, with compassion, it's not that we're hurting other people, you know, and you're telling, you know, your two-year-old, sorry, I don't feel like cooking today. It's, it's not that we're putting other people at risk, but we're bringing ourselves into the equation as well. Exactly. And I think that's a good one. You've got all these, you know, putting yourself in the equation and what's good for you, because at that moment, that would have been very bad for her on every level. You know, whereas being able to say no, once she found the courage to do that, that was much better. And sometimes we have to find the courage to compassion might be to say no. It might be to act and do something that's difficult. You know, we may have to open those credit card uh, uh, envelopes that we throw in the bin and we might have to look at them and say, well, guess what? I might need to get a second job or maybe I need to sit and talk to somebody. That's compassionate. Throwing in the bin isn't compassionate. That's trying to resist something that's difficult. A mm -hmm. compassionate person looks at that and says, I can do something about this. I can seek some help for this. Yes. And whatever the situation is, a compassionate person tries to do that. Mm hmm. I love that. I love that. And also not that things always go wrong. But in my personal experience, <laughs> when I have not listened to myself, and I have done something that I don't want to do. Oftentimes, it doesn't go well, I am too sick, and then I can't help somebody and then I'm more of a burden and then something else goes wrong. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, no, it doesn't help you because you don't feel well enough to do it anyway. So you're placing yourself in a difficult, and there's a lot of guilt and shame and very difficult emotions that yeah. come up. And we're sort of, we're not, we don't like to face those as well. They're difficult. So sometimes we think saying yes is the easy way because we think, oh, I feel really bad about it or I feel ashamed about something. I mean, we all feel those things. They're normal, yeah. but but they don't help us to feel better. We get into a spiral which starts to define us and it makes us feel worse. And some of, some of being compassionate is conquering your fear, actually conquering some of your fears because we have, we have a fear of that things will go wrong. So our little negative brain is there going, oh, I'm frightened this will go wrong. What will happen? What will someone say? Because a lot of our approval is outside of ourselves and it's like we have to learn to be okay we're fine you know we have to live our purpose and our values and if we're not living aligned to those then we're generally causing ourselves some pain absolutely absolutely
This is such deep and broad work. How do clients usually come to you and how deep does this work usually go? Is there a normal path or how does that work for you? So clients come to me, um, either they know me because they've seen, they've seen me either speak as I give a number of lectures and then uh, people meet me that way. Uh, people are referred to me. And people find me also on social media through LinkedIn or Facebook or my website. Yeah. Um, how deep does the work go? It can go very deep. I mean, we can go from, we, I usually start with working with helping people cultivate awareness and mindfulness because that's the first stage. You can't really do anything to, to change unless you do that part. So we spend a lot of time of working and looking at our strategies and knowing ourselves and being able to stop and let our thoughts be there. So we spend time there and then we work. And then once we have that, we can work into acceptance and, and more compassion and build a bit of a plan to start working on ourselves. That's how I work with people. Usually I work with people in that sort of an eight week process, but of course it can take longer. You, yeah. often doesn't take less. And I think the answer is that it's the start of a journey, which might involve going deeper and deeper. It might start working with someone else or afterwards you may decide to come back and work more with me. You might want to go on a retreat or a, or a deeper workshop, you know, so that people can keep on growing afterwards. It's not, it's not like, you know, it's not a one minute, but it's also not years in therapy either. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because like anything, it's, it seems it's a practice. And once we bring that practice in our life, it doesn't matter if we're going through physical, emotional jobs, families, you can use that practice to help you in any realm. Exactly. You're use, you can use that practice um, all the time in any which way you want. I mean, people usually come with a problem in some place that they've hit some point in their lives. People very rarely come unless they have, if they have no problem. Right. But that might become the starting point to growing and developing as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is so invaluable. <laughs> <laughs> Oh True. I mean, and I think that that can take people in many different directions. You know, it, it, it's it, it's not pr that prescriptive. I think the important thing is to start the process and start working. Mm -hmm. And then people generally, I usually advise that people afterwards, you know, do keep coming back or join a meditation group or go on retreats or do other things. And, and they generally want to learn. And I give people other things to read. So they're inspired beyond, beyond just coming to, to getting help from me. Exactly. Exactly. Now for the listeners out there who are thinking, well, this sounds really, this sounds interesting and maybe I should look into it. And Oh, the next time something comes up, do you have any, practices or tips or directions that maybe they can try the next time they're in a traffic jam, you know, the next holiday meal when great aunt Betty has on her third bottle of wine and is being really obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. I think, well, yes. I, I mean, I, one of my favorite things to do is, is called the three minute breathing space, which is pretty, pretty simple. Because we, we can always find three minutes. We've yeah. always got a few minutes. But you basically, you kind of stop 
and you can sort of scan through your body and notice how your body feels. You know, you can start at your toes and work up to your head or you can start on your head and work down to your toes. That, that doesn't matter. But, you know, what does my body feel like here? Are there points of tension here? Could I just breathe into those for a few moments, release? Just get a sense of how you actually feel and do that for no more than a minute, scanning yourself through. Then you can just focus on the breath for a minute, just literally soft, soothing, rhythmic breathing because that will calm you in any situation. And then just do a final kind of minute or so checking through and breathing and feeling your body and just letting that breath help you to release and relax parts of your body. And then you can come back into your, into your room. It's a very simple practice and there's a lot of three-minute breathing space meditations that you can download off the, off the internet. I think there's one from John Kabat-Zinn who's the father of mindfulness. And, and they're very simple to do but they can make a huge difference to stop for three minutes. Seems quite a long time if you're not used to doing it, but just checking in and calming yourself, you know, checking in, being in the present and calming yourself down. But if you're really getting very annoyed with the, your aunt at Christmas or Thanksgiving, <laughs> sometimes removing yourself from that situation and taking a few deep breaths is, is the best thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and acknowledging maybe that the person is annoying you. And That's you're feeling a bit annoyed, you know, just acknowledge, well, actually, I'm feeling a bit annoyed now. And putting a label on your emotion isn't a bad idea because once you've labeled it, its significance has in, diminished a bit. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And you're right, no matter what, whether you're annoyed or I'm feeling like I'm losing control over my own emotions wow, you're right, just calling it for what it is. Yep. It takes a lot of, a lot of the sting out of it because, you know, it's, got, it's kind of then there. Hello. Hello, anger. Are you here? Hello, frustration. You're here kind of thing. Okay, fine. You've acknowledged it, and then it's not churning in your mind in the same way. Mm-hmm. 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 And also, it feels like a little bit less scary because I know for myself, <clears throat> when emotions start building, sometimes it's, well, what is going on? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I hungry? What, what am I? It, it's just things yeah. are building. <laughs> I don't know what they and Sometimes are. you are hungry. Sometimes we're hungry and we need, to, we need to eat, stop, drink some water and just do something very practical that's, again, in many ways, quite grounding to do that. Just stop, mm-hmm. do something like that, put a little little sort of marker in the ground. Okay, I'm stopping now. I'm doing to do this. Right. I like that. This is, these, this, these are my emotions. I'm breathing it. I'm feeling it. Now I can choose. And I like how you had said earlier, the choices tend to be in our best interest. You might not choose to scream at your great aunt. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know that's not going to bring good choices, but you also might not choose to get completely bowled over by her. Exactly. You might, you might choose to step away out of the room. You might think, well, if I stay here, I'm, I'm going to, she's going to drive me crazy and I'm going to say something that's not mm-hmm. kind. And instead, you decide to remove yourself, take a breath, label the fact that she's driving you crazy, let that go, and, and then you can return. Because you've retained a bit of control yourself over that. You've acknowledged your emotion, which is good. And then it can go on. It seems like there's a lot of dignity in that process. 
I think so. I think that when you practice mindfulness and you live more mindfully, you begin to live your life with, with more grace and more dignity. I think mm-hmm. you're more mindful of yourself, what's good for you. You're also more mindful of other people. You become more respectful of them. You, you listen to them. You're tuning into them more. Mm-hmm. Do you find that your family, people that you work with, are more respectful of you just because you are more mindful and therefore more respectful of them? Oh, I think that's without doubt. I, I notice the difference. And I think when that happens in, in other places and with other people, when you're with other people who practice mindfulness, people are far much more harmonious with each other because we're more respectful and, and aware of each other. And you're aware, and you're also having more honest conversation. I noticed with my son that prior to that, we used to have very tense conversations. It used to be very intense. And now, if we feel tension, then it doesn't escalate in the same way. I mean, we're, we're human. So, I mean, you know, things like that happen. We don't, we don't suddenly become saints. We can all have a fight with our partner. We can all be irritated with our children. But we can sort of acknowledge it and stop it before it becomes hurtful and it escalates when you can say, look, you, you're really upsetting me right now. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not accepting this. And, and I think we just need to take a break here or whatever it is you need to say. And so my son and I, we don't escalate our conversations. I mean, he's a little bit older now, but even so, you know, he can be pretty emotional here. Or if he's getting anxious, we can say, okay, okay, so what's going on here? We have a different kind of conversation with each other where the emotions are dialed down. I love that. So that's another thing too for listeners, you know, who might be listening to you and, and to have some curiosity around mindfulness and they might be thinking, well, that's all great, but my partner's the problem, not me. Or my kids are the problem, not me. (laughs) Or my boss is the problem, not me. Yeah. By changing yourself, you can, you will change the relationship with others as well. Definitely. Because you're, your whole kind of energy changes. You're, you're much more grounded. You're far less likely to allow a conversation to um, escalate a word, to take hold it, to create a story, which isn't a story. So those grudges, those, you know, when you've been upset by somebody, it's churning away in the back of your head. That starts to go down because you're not, you can take yourself out of that and realize it's just a thought instead of thinking, he thinks this of me and that's, he doesn't love me. And, you know, it becomes a whole great whatever, <laughs> which it does, but, and it can do. But instead, you're just saying, oh, well, I'm actually really annoyed. And you're labeling how you feel. Um, we begin to be able to listen to people more and hold more space for them. I mean, it takes practice. This doesn't happen like you go one session or even after eight weeks, but as you practice more, you realize you can hold a bit more space for a person, just that little bit more sensitive. And you're also recognizing that you're important. You know, your own self-compassion comes that when you have that, you're also, that then flows to other people over time. You become more compassionate towards them. It happens quite sort of, by chance, you suddenly notice that you're more sensitive, more tuned in, and you can step away. So the tensions we have in relationships, and those we love and those are closest to the ones we're often most tense with, improve. Mm-hmm. 
over time because we are more mindful. I love that. I love that. I want to ask you more about your journey as well, because like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in eight weeks. We are humans. We have this primal fear-based brain for survival. We're not saints. We're not going to be saints. How does your journey look? I'm, I'm assuming there's still ups and downs, but that you're better. And I would just love you to verbalize so people can get a realistic understanding of how mindfulness can change their life and what it looks like. Yeah, I would have said that I was a very intense alpha person. You know, that, that, and my natural tendency is not to be like super calm or zen, and I'm not super calm or zen now. So if people, you know, your drive doesn't die away. But the difference between before was I could keep pushing and I could keep pushing and pushing and pushing. My son used to say to me, you are the most tenacious woman I have ever met in my life. He used to say to me, for God's sake, mother, stop now. Just stop. You don't need to fix this TV, this computer. And I'd be like going, going. Now I know, okay, I can't do this. And I can notice my natural tendency is still to push, to say yes when I should say no, to try and make things work. I mean, I don't change me. My whole personality isn't turned inside out. But I have the ability to notice that. And that was the journey that I went on, that instead of keeping pushing, I actually stop. Or I ask for help. Or I let it go, you know. And, and so I'm, I'm more able to go with the flow. I'm more able to know that tomorrow things will look different because change is part of our life. Um, that I can, that I make more time to rest and that I'm aware. I mean, yes, everybody eats a few too many cookies. Everybody, you know, those things happen. But I have the ability to know that and then make a little bit more adjustments and, and compensation or to say, if I choose to eat these, well, then I'm choosing to eat them. And I know that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, so there's like, I'm a bit more conscious of the choices I'm making rather than allowing automatic behavior. Um, I can still escalate a thought in my head, but the answer is that I can hear myself doing it and I'm thinking, oh, for goodness sake, you know, this, this doesn't need to happen. It's uh -huh. more that you have the ability to stop and take a little hold and course correct when it happens. I love but, that. Yeah, it's, it's you, you know, nobody thinks that you become Zen-like. And it just isn't, we're not human, we're human. And so we react and we have difficult days and we have good days. The difference is it doesn't become a whole great big thing for me anymore. I can stop it. I can see it happening and I can decide to pull away from, you know, my natural tendencies, which are to push and to create a catastrophizing what-if scenario that's, you know, it's not real. <laughs> and, and so those things don't happen as much. And if I don't feel well, then I'm more likely to, to, create, a, to create an intervention or to seek help more quickly rather than allowing it to drag on. I love that. I love that. Because, I, you know, I, I think sometimes people don't understand, well, how can I be me? I am determined. I am dedicated. I'm type A. I'm success-oriented. I'm driven. How can I be both? Well, you can be both. Well, you can be both. I mean, I, I look at, my my own teacher and she is the most driven person on the planet i mean she's a, a para, semi paraplegic in a wheelchair she had a very serious accident when she was a girl um oh. 
and her spine was damaged. She was meant to swim in the Olympics for New Zealand and she never swam, of course, because her spine was damaged. She, and she'd had lots of operations and all kinds of things. And she is very A-type. I mean, that lies there in her. But there are times when, even when you go away on retreat with her, she'll go, um, her partner will come in and say, look, she's just too tired to do this session. She just needs to rest now. Mm-hmm. And so she does. And she stands up out of a wheelchair every 20 minutes on her crutches and takes a moment and very disciplined, but she's very driven. I mean, she has written books. She's been honored all around the world. She try, I mean, she's exhausting. She exhausts all of us. I'm sure. Because that's, because that's her personality. But at the same time, she's just got this great ability to, to take control and to manage, you know, her pain and where she's at at any one time. Mm-hmm. It seems like, and I, I am not going to say this as eloquently as it's churning in my brain, <laughs> but it seems like sometimes those challenges, whether it's being driven, whether it's a physical challenge, whether it's menopause, whether it's a difficult kid, sometimes those challenges give us more of an ability to be mindful and what a gift they can be. I think so. I think it's very hard if your life is ticking along quite easily to see why you would need mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if we're all sort of A-OK, well, do we need this? Well, I don't know. Yes, we probably do, but more as a backstop. But when you hit a crisis, then a lot of people will start to look for a way to manage that. So, you know, like my teacher, Vijamal, I mean, she's obviously had a very serious, serious issue and a lot of operations. Some of us end up just not feeling very well. Other people have a lot of anxiety or trauma or pain, or maybe, you know, they haven't slept properly for 10 years or something like that. Whatever it is that's happening to them, they start to look for, for support and, and, and a way to change. Because there's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a crunch bar. And we're not talking about people here who have, you know, serious depression or psychic. I mean, that's a right. very different thing. But we're talking about being human has points of difficulty along the journey. You know, it's part of being a human being. You know, that is that is what it is. But we can. But when we hit those, sometimes we're lucky enough to to reach out and want to make a change. And that's what mindfulness is—an ability, a practice, a way of being that we can help us manage with being human instead of allowing that to spiral down and making us ill or ending up that we're taking antidepressive medicine or whatever it is, or carrying on, you know, drinking one bottle of wine a day until it makes us unwell. Exactly. And, then the, and then the solution is, is, is not so good. The end story is not so great there. So that's how I think a lot of people find mindfulness that, it comes to them when life's difficult mm-hmm. and, and they start to want to make a change. Exactly. And for listeners facing anything, I, this is something I would encourage you to reach out. I'm, I'm going to have you share your contact information in a moment, but also for people who are in a good spot in their life. I like to know my options because life is ever changing and I like to have a few tricks in my bag that, Hey, the next time I don't feel so good, what was that show I listened to? It was about mindfulness. Who was that gal? Let me find her. It's nice just to have that awareness that when things go wrong, maybe I'll look into it and, or maybe I'll try it in advance and maybe it will prevent things from going wrong. Many of my listeners know I spent 10 years as a corporate attorney and solving problems made me realize there is nothing like preventative law. 
I would rather mm -hmm. prevent the problems than have to dig myself out. <laughs> oh <Later>. yes, <laughs> I agree. I mean, I think if you if you could start having a mindfulness practice when you don't think you need it, the ability to take some time regularly to pause, to be in the present, to be very connected to yourself and, and the present is fantastic. And to have compassion with your, for yourself and, and put yourself first and say no when you'd like, when you don't want to say yes, all those things, your life would feel a lot easier so that when you meet a physical change like the menopause, when you meet a problem, which whatever it is, and we will, Yes. Then, yeah, we will. Like, because life is like that, you know, irrespective of whether it's big or small, we'll face some kind of difficulty in some dimension of our life. We have the ability to not allow that to overwhelm us in the same way. We have the ability to know that our thoughts are starting to race and we can say, okay, I can hear you thoughts, but I'm not going down that path with you. And I think that would be, that would be the ideal for me. I would love to have more clients who wanted to, you know, kind of build up their reserves rather than, because it's a far easier journey than um, trying to pick you up off the floor. I love you and I love people that need lots of help because I do, but, but it's a tough journey and it's an emotional journey for some. A very, or for many people, a very tough, tough and emotional journey. And we don't really feel we need to do that to ourselves. No, exactly. Well, where can listeners get in touch with you or buy your book or find out more about you? So I've got a website called thelittlebreathingspace.com. And that's where you can see the coaching I do and read more about me and get in contact with me. The book's available on Amazon. So that's just, it's a Kindle and a paperback. So that, that's available. You just go on Amazon and look at the mindful menopause and it will pop up. And, and I'm also on social. So you can find me on face, Facebook and Instagram in particular. Perfect. Perfect. And I am hooking up with her on all of my social too. So if you can't remember her name or her web address, find me, I can hook you guys up because Ah, I have just appreciated this so much and learning about you and your journey and the work that you do. And, oh, I'm with you. If we could just make the whole world mindful, what an amazing world this would be. It would indeed. Laura, I thank you so much for inviting me on the show and letting me share a little insights into mindfulness. Thank you so much. You have a fantastic day. And listeners, again, you know where to find me, Laura, at lauracheadle.com. 303-994-4945. Um, Reach out to me with questions. I can connect you. It's all good. You guys have a fantastic week. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release outdated labels, roles, and scripts. Reveal the calling of your soul and re-choreograph your own life, even when you're unsure of what you want. In five bold and glittering strokes, you too can build your dreams and live your sparkle. Find out more about Laura at PyramidFusion.com.